0: This is The Beige and the Bold, and today we're watching Data's Day. I'm Van Velding, and I saw this episode when it originally aired.
1: And I am Shauna Harrison, and I uh, first saw this episode, actually can't remember, I was a kid, <laughs> watching it with my parents on, uh, you know, uh, back in the day when it was syndicated, so... <laughs> I am the co-host for Bunny Trails, which is a whimsical adventure through idioms and other turns of phrase.
0: I'm going to go ahead and start the episode okay. in three, two, one. So this is a, a pretty good slice of life episode. It's, um just kind of shows you what life is like, daily life is like on the Enterprise.
1: Yeah, I really enjoy episodes that have little snippets of the day to day experiences of various characters. It just gives you a little bit more realism to the world.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not a guy for continuity or making sure that uh, you know outside of an episode, I don't need to have callbacks to stuff that happened you know two two years ago or whatever or the original series. But things like this that actually build the world and make it lived in are. are it's the kind of continuity I like.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And it also kind of it d- helps develop the characters uh, in a different way than just those big experiences that are typically, you know, happening in an episode.
0: Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, um, I mean, we, we focus on Data here because I guess he is up 24 hours a day.
1: Yeah, then they get the entire think, day in there. Or all the experiences of all the different uh different shifts of crew members and everything. Yeah. I think it's interesting how many babies are born in this show. Like there's always somebody having a baby.
0: <laughs> yeah. I um I mean, do we have any babies that aren't like the sci fi plot of the week? I
1: don't
0: know. Other than this one? I don't
1: think so. I can't think of, um, there's, well, no, I can't think of any actually.
0: Okay. Maybe so. I'm, I'm sure there are. They try to sell this as like a city and there's like a thousand people here, but it's still not a lot.
1: Yeah. I think like down the road, there are some in later episodes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But. So, um, it's hard to keep track, but, um, the baby thing is interesting because you just kind of lose it in the background. Yeah. Um, and then it, it comes up a little later. So uh, this is where we get our, our Keiko and our O'Brien uh, through line, which is where we first meet Keiko, too.
1: Yeah, I I think she's kind of a cool character. You know uh, at the time, Star Trek was always kind of injecting other cultures into the storyline and, and uh, really highlighting them, which I think is wonderful.
0: Yeah, I... Keiko gets a bad rap later, um, and I think that's really undeserved. Um, yeah. I think she's just a person who doesn't live her life to to accommodate other people all the time, uh, and I think right. it, that takes some getting used to from s- certain folks. I mean, <laughs> here, you know, she she decides that she doesn't want to get married at the last minute, and she doesn't just go along with it, you know, out of convenience or out of inertia. She yeah. she bucks it.
1: I think that's uh, yeah. It's unusual to see that strength in some characters to actually to make a decision. So, you know. Yeah. Well,
0: and, and then if they if they played her that way, I think more consistently throughout the episode, it would have reflected better on her. But I guess we can talk about that whenever we get to it. Yeah. So. um... It's, uh, I, I guess I talked over that joke with Data. That's uh, it's a pretty good one in terms of how they set it up.
1: About the, uh, I I have good news.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's so Data. Because that's, that's his weakness, really. He's so good at so many things. It's good to, to play to his weaknesses.
1: It, it definitely is. And um, I think, think that that's kind of an overarching theme for his character is that in a lot of the ways uh, that he is not human actually make him more human or <laughs> seem that he is
0: I can see that so because um, he desperately wants to belong you know like Spock he wants to belong he's trying to to meet that standard of belonging and he's kind of doomed to never to never reach it
1: yeah it's it's an- It's really cool. I think that's like the most human thing about him, like this desire to to belong and to better himself.
0: Yeah. And, you know, outwardly, I think I think people relate to Data and Picard because I think people want to be Picard. I think they relate to Data because he is kind of an outsider who never quite feels like he's part of the group. Yeah. Even though he definitely is. I, uh, it's good, though, that he mentions that he has a little program to help him better understand people. Yeah. Uh, what's that?
1: As he talks through all the things that he's doing, it's. Uh, I, I wonder how many of those events on the ship that he's aware of, and how many he's also attending.
0: It would be interesting to to see Data's social calendar, just for... Uh, he's He's got no reason not to do these things, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, if he's not sleeping, I mean... <laughs> just...
0: Yeah. It would be so interesting to just, you know, for, like, junior crew members, if, you know, he, Data just shows up to their D&D game at 2 a.m.
1: That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's like, I saw this on the bulletin board. I would like to play a bard. <laughs> and so Data has an actual violin in the middle of D&D. <laughs>
1: Awesome.
0: So, I think I think this is the first time we get Data's take on Vulcans. I think Sarek was last season, but uh, we didn't really get to see him his internal track on that.
1: And I think his evaluation of them is uh, is is interesting because uh, the way that they're portrayed is uh, the is very conflicted. And so his view is just that uh, so objective that it kind of places him well within the, the world there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think folks, folks compare Data to to Spock a lot, and I think people see those same traits between them. But really, um, it you you expect Data to like Vulcans and have a rapport there, and it's not, and that's it's just an interesting yeah. twist on it.
1: It is i he understands them less than he does humans,
0: yeah and and this is our first time with the the barber shop, which is no wait i think I think we is saw this, this in another episode, did we, or is that a spa? I don't know, but
1: <laughs> i'm trying I'm trying to remember
0: <laughs> yeah data trying to uh just practice how other people do things, yeah, so because he's um you know it is an interesting phenomenon how we how we insult people that we like
1: Uh, yeah people do that a lot and uh i don't i don't know if it does it actually make people feel good to be insulted by their friends or are they like you know does it really feel bad and we all just misery loves company kind of thing going (laughs)
0: um you know i think it's a form of honesty between friends um where you can say, hey, you are kind of like this without being adversarial about it.
1: So it's like a genuineness that engenders closeness, maybe?
0: Yeah. I mean, you're you're close, so you know it's not an attack on you. If a stranger comes up and they're like, hey, you know, you're just so terrible at, I don't know, picking out cheeses from a lineup, then that might be insulting. But if your friend's like, oh, gosh, you're always the worst cheese picker. Or maybe you're bad at examples. Um, you know your friend. Um, you know you you know your friend's trying to help you out. You know that they respect you underneath all of that. Right. So.
1: Reminds me of the Monty Python skit, like with all the what? cheeses. Have
0: you no, I don't. I don't recall.
1: Not a okay. Uh, yeah, there. I don't know. Like eight hundred types of cheese. All in different languages. I can't pronounce any of them, so no help. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Classic humor.
0: All right. um... It's the first time we see the, I guess, the Star Trek The Next Generation Mall. This is where they go for for specialty items or big things.
1: For shopping.
0: Mm. They have replicators in their room, right? So... Why do they need to come here?
1: Yes, there must be a... How is it? You know, there's not... A... The money isn't a thing, but obviously there's some system to, you know, manage how many resources are used by different people. So uh, I would, you know, I always kind of assumed that people could sort of build up their resources to, to get bigger items like that or... Maybe they all just do it whenever, and it's not counted. I don't know.
0: I'm not sure. I, um, I mean, the notion of buying gifts in a post scarcity society is, is an interesting one. And uh, we get to see Doctor Crusher with some personality. This this show doesn't give her a lot of character, really.
1: I don't think it does. It's very limited to just a f- handful of episodes, I think, with her uh, actually, you know, part of the story.
0: Yeah. And so for a data centric episode to have her do something like this is great. Yeah. Um, you know, later on, she she's going to run the theater, basically. So it's good mm-hmm. to see her. You know, she's a doctor. She's a hard science lady. Uh, but that she has this kind of liberal arts angle to her that she plays heavily is uh it's pretty cool
1: yeah so I think again um
0: so this is kind of our our through line this is our our first uh, look at the a plot and they give us definitely um you know a lower decks look at this story because we don't we aren't on the inside of it like we usually are
1: yeah, that's uh, one thing that's unique about this uh, this story for sure. This storyline here is that you don't know what's going on. You have to kind of piece it together along with everyone else.
0: Yeah. And it's a great perspective. And they make uh, an episode that's basically all about that later. I think in season seven, I think it's one of the really good ones in season seven. So, um, and even then, I think. You know, Data gets into it just because he's he's the android character, right? And he's... I think
1: so many times when you're watching uh, any kind of a show, you feel like, oh, these characters should have all this figured out. I love that this one kind of shows you what it's really like to be on the outside of the story.
0: Yeah, I um, it is weird that that Picard doesn't know all this stuff that you know his operations officer somehow his a strategic advisor on the position of the Romulan fleet. It's kind of strange.
1: Yeah.
0: And you think Worf or Commander Riker, there'd be a guy to Starbase. You know, it works for the story, though. It makes yeah. it go.
1: I think, too, that conversation about leadership where... Um, but in, in this case, you know, he's intentionally withholding information from his crew... And so I think that would also lend that to that behavior to continue in the, you know, reciprocal. His crew's not necessarily going to share their opinions or thoughts to with him either.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, this is the first time we see Spot. The. Um... Is
1: this the first time Spot's been?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that he takes such good care of his cat it's so sweet
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah he doesn't he doesn't forget things though that's true of course there are a lot of fan theories about spot i mean spot changes gender spot changes appearance Mm -hmm. so i know one episode spot keeps getting out of data's quarters so um there's a theory that he just keeps losing his spots (laughs) and replacing them but i guess that's a little macabre
1: that is, but you know, yeah. it's like a goldfish. Is that like you can't? <laughs> yeah.
0: So, I, uh, this is interesting because there's um. Because I guess this this is a personal conversation, but Chief O'Brien keeps calling him sir because Data outranks him. Yes. This um, I think one of two O'Brien episodes we get back to back, and that's kind of strange.
1: Yeah, well, and I think he's—I don't know if it's just because the actor's so talented, but uh, you know, he's kind of a just this bit part early on, and yeah. and uh, or when he first shows up, but really becomes an important uh, part of that, you know, core group.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's so strange because I I assumed initially reviewing all of this that they were trying to audition him for DS9, and I think DS9 still two or three years away it's strange
1: yep yeah before this
0: you know he he can do it the guy's uh He's he does great yeah so and here we learn this Is this where data mentions that he he introduced them
1: <laughs> uh I uh, O'Brien yeah. said you know like you yeah, like, you started this whole thing, so <laughs> fix it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's it's interesting that O'Brien has an emotional appeal, and Data has, somehow has to rationalize that to, to speak with Keiko. Is this where he says that, that Deanna couldn't talk to her either? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's... Uh, you know this show is disappointing in how it, it just doesn't know how to use counsellor troy
1: uh she's so underutilized and just uh in in all of the ways that that Star Trek is progressive or was progressive for its time uh <laughs> the fact that Troy was still just this kind of trophy character <laughs> for so oh, much yeah. of this series was disappointing
0: uh there there are so many instances where Someone's having an emotional problem. (laughs) Indiana goes up to plate and strikes out, and Picard comes in and gives the big speech, and you're like, just let Marina Sertes do it. Yeah. So, it it works here because this is definitely a data POV episode. Yes. But, um, you know, it's just another, I guess, another log on that fire. Hmm. So here's um Keiko's being I think really defensive here. So I guess she she just wasn't sure of her situation. Yeah. But it's it's an emotional outburst which gives us a, a pretext for Data and Troy, who are an odd couple.
1: Mm-hmm. I think to, you know, the fact that the, the humans didn't receive help from Troy, but, uh, <laughs> but Data is going to go to her.
0: Yeah. Just, I feel like Data is the only person who knows how to get counseling on this ship. Apparently. So. But, you know, I I think Troy is a great way for Data to work through this stuff. Because he, he has no idea what's happening.
1: Yeah. Um <laughs> it also
0: <laughs> of course data approaches marriage like um like a calculation which is so very data. Yes. I um you know I think a lot of people do that too and it's I think it's more than just um the calculus I think I think all of us know two people that we think would do great together and they don't or vice versa. You know like the couple you don't know how they're together but they are.
1: Right, yeah. Definitely, and it's one of those um, inexplicable things about human relationships and interactions.
0: Yeah. Have all I think... Th- mm-hmm. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say, I think Data going to Troy also just allows that opportunity for her to give uh, explanations where otherwise they would seem uh, like condescending or something like that.
0: Yeah. So she's, she's really good at telling us about feelings, which, you know... This show uses well sometimes. Um, so you know, it's, it's a I think it's a bombshell for everyone when Data says he's considered getting married before. Yeah. So because um, I think I think we see him date later in this season for the first time, and that's that's a whole thing.
1: Yeah, that's like a whole thing. <laughs> So. i love how she also comforts him despite the fact that he doesn't need like, or you know she's trying to kind of encourage him and um i don't know if that benefits him or not it, it, he certainly seems to take uh advice from others uh, uh, you know and put that towards a decision but not necessarily like the emotional components not there
0: yeah so and that's something he deals with a like a lot of his scenes are just him trying to interact with the emotional people of the crew, which we've talked about before, but we haven't really shown in as much depth yeah. as we have here. So um, here we're getting our first hints about Tapell, where she's asking about security stuff. And Data has to shut her down. Is it Tapell?
1: Yeah. All right.
0: so he he, he's he's a lot smarter than I think she gives him credit for Mm -hmm. although I'm not really sure what his situation is with security data like can he have the same safeguards as the ship or does he just have the same safeguards as any decent officer would
1: see that's a good question too because uh I mean the the things that might affect the ship as far as I don't know hacking or however you want to like breaking in. I mean, would that have the same uh, effect on data? Because then you don't you'd almost want him to be more secure. Like he can make decisions <laughs> and choices. The ship can't, you know.
0: Exactly. I mean, I think that you also the hmm?
1: oh ahead. he mentions there that he wishes he had instinct, but I th- but the fact that he's questioning also. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh yeah that that feels like a quintessential data has feelings but no one knows how to acknowledge the moment yeah i um i i was researching this and i was surprised to know that Brent spiner did all but one shot of this oh really yeah so um i mean obviously Gates mcfadden because she's like a triple threat but um,
1: yeah she's amazing oh yeah i this scene is so humorous to me (laughs) Oh, Prince yeah. spiners a, an amazing actor of course uh, but his ability to to play a character that's trying to print it, pretend to be human I mean, it's just amazing the the levels of of uh acting that are happening
0: oh yeah I because he's a he's a talented comedic actor sometimes mm-hmm. he's just a straight man to himself I, um... so I you know also when researching apparently these two had lived the, the dialogue and then just ran it by the writers
1: oh yeah they're like we can write this scene better so we'll, <laughs> we'll just take care of
0: it yeah but again this is this is, again this is a great scene in the series because it's such a human moment between these two that's not driven by a plot or by the the monster of the week or business you know right very um and of course we do all the great you know the tap dancing stuff and then we learn later here in a few minutes um it's actually uh he needs to do ballroom dancing
1: such a yeah very they're both entertaining to watch
0: oh yeah (laughs) and so again it's it's a great shift in that we go from this, I guess, kind of technical, mechanical dancing, tap dance, to the emotional, intuitive dancing of ballroom dancing. It's a, it's a great way that this um, this little thing that he's trying to do as part of life, you know, learn how to dance, reflects Data's, um, the conflicts in Data's life as well. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, it's, it's a valid question as to why people don't tap dance at weddings.
1: And I love that her response is, I, I don't know. <laughs> She's yeah. like, I don't know why.
0: I mean, for a lot of the, you know, oh, why is this emotional thing? You know, why do humans do this thing? Well, you're like, usually there's a fairly reasonable explanation behind it. But I mean, the dancing thing is so. So I don't know unspoken it's hard to to put put it into words
1: yeah
0: so
1: I think this really highlights that dichotomy of what data is who data is that he's uh, you touched on earlier that he has this just ability to like do so many things he has such a high ability for so many things and uh, yet expression of emotion or of just anything else in that realm is is beyond him.
0: Oh, yeah. And uh, again, this episode is so refreshing because it's so many things that you've wanted from this series and you finally get them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the day in the life, um, the, the softer side of Data, really, um, more characterization of Crusher. Troy, being a pretty good counselor, and then just, you know, f- for me, the, the shift thing, uh, we learn about the day and night shifts, which yeah. is, I enjoy.
1: Uh, and and I think, too, is just kind of a, a shouldn't be an epiphany, so <laughs> it's like yeah. this realization, oh, there's a whole other crew that lives and works on this ship. Uh, we really only see the one group of people. Yeah.
0: And we see, you know, data on a night shift, and then Riker comes in, and then later Picard comes in. And I think what, Worf takes over after data? No, data picks up from Worf. Yeah. So it implies that, you know, maybe you do like a 8 to 4 shift, and maybe a 4 to 12, and then a 12 to 8 again. And, um, you know, maybe Picard just works 6 to 6 or however Picard wants. So. Which is you know nitpicky nerd stuff, but I I'm interested in that, and um, how it all works.
1: Like, write out a schedule when they all they all work, plan out shifts for them.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> the Print <laughs> Spiner being print Spiner, it's great. That <laughs> Rick Love it. And we get we get a good Riker scene. It's. Um, good to have some of the pros of Riker's book talked up sometimes
1: yeah and you know he has that similar method acting as um uh, as Picard or but he's just I mean it's just different like his his uh personality is different Jonathan Franks is and um I just I I love seeing it you know just really (laughs) open on on screen
0: oh yeah so and, you know, after after the second season, they drop off a lot of the characterization of Riker. So, um, and how they develop him, I don't think is really thought out. So when you see scenes where, you know, you just say, hey, what's what's Riker supposed to be when you give the writers a blank sheet of paper that says Will Riker? Like, well, he's cool. He sits in the console. He tells stories about axes.
1: Yeah, and he is like the big tough guy and the, you know, just the manly man. And so I think... <laughs> Uh, he's just fit into to episodes sometimes as a, as a you know, that device uh, as opposed to a character.
0: Exactly. Uh, I think this series sees him as like the normal guy. So I feel like, oh, we just need a guy in this story and they'll put Will Riker in there. Um, yeah. Which is disappointing because I think there are a lot of parental roles that Picard ends up in that uh, I think Riker could fulfill because he you know he was kind of a guardian for Wesley.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think he does in a lot of way uh exceed the parameters of the character that was created for him. Not just the actor, but the character itself, just some of the decisions that, that he makes or some of the situations he's put into and and, you know, those outcomes. Uh the character's definitely bigger than how he's written.
0: <laughs> oh yeah so it's um Frakes is great uh, and just, just doing little things when you rewatch it you notice all the things that Frakes does just to add a little bit of life to Riker
1: yes and it's subtle too which is great
0: oh yeah because he never, he's never drawing your eye away from what you're supposed to be watching he's just kind of mm-hmm. existing as a very real piece of the background or the support structure for the episode Again, this story is told in what? Five or six parts? This whole Topel-Romulan intrigue?
1: Yeah, it's a kind of a long-running sort of small story, but really has a larger impact on, on overall.
0: Yeah. I guess this is one of the few episodes of Star Trek that gets narrated to some extent. Because we see Later, with the um, you know during our climax, data is kind of giving us a hint about Picard's internal process. I guess the the captain's logs do a little bit of, of narrating for us. Yeah. Ooh, let me get it quick. <laughs> a quick just quick little communication that says everything's everything got blowed up so mm. in terms of, of their plan for this little conference so one thing this show does really well is it just says hey look all the special effects happened off screen it was totally cool though trust me and it and they tell the story with that
1: yeah this is where we get to uh, just par- picard's response uh, that tells us the story <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and and you know a patrick stewart reaction shot i think is worth an equal t- um, equal time in cgi I mean, you probably just At could least, have done, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you could probably don't do Infinity War, like with just Patrick Stewart's face and just say, like, "Hey, look, they're are a bunch of monsters attack, and they got four arms, and they're really ugly." And then you just cut to Patrick Stewart reacting to that, and you're like, "We're good. Send the animators home."
1: Yep, that's all we
0: so, need. Yeah. So here we kind of okay. go through all of our paces with the the transporter stuff.
1: There's always this, um, effort to like almost touch on science, you know, in this show. (laughs) Sometimes it definitely does, or it talks in there. It's a a lot of times, uh, speaks in concepts of math and science, uh, which I appreciate, but.
0: Oh yeah. So I, I know, I know the story comes first, but I always appreciate when they fit some hard science or some engineering in there.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So, um, you know, especially Star Trek, you expect to kind of educate people um, while yeah. they're telling the story.
1: Yeah,
0: I think, um, but it also tells you the, the the methodical process they use for these things, and it kind of builds the the logic of how everything works. So, yeah. Uh, so you may may not understand all the stuff O'Brien's saying, but. You understand that shouldn't have happened and it's a mystery. So <laughs> and this guy's great. I don't I forget his name. Tabak or something? yeah. So. And he's like, Oh, this is part of some Federation intrigue, some <laughs> multifaceted political gameplay by you guys, when the whole time we know that he's the guy who's who's doing that. Yeah. And of course you know when he says it's a maneuver worthy of a Romulan it's very two-sided
1: yes and I, I wonder for people who haven't seen the episode before is this foreshadowing or do they already have a sense that you know this it, this was all just a big uh, lie
0: I think it probably just depends on the viewer I mean right now our story goes hey we're, we're done here let's go home And we don't really have a clue in terms of, you know, the camera or the story about what's going on. So, I I think some astute folks could figure it out. Yeah. So, it's kind of our fairly dry procedural, you know, if you eliminate the impossible scenes. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which again kind of gets us; it drags us off of the the personal quest for a bit into the a more conventional Star Trek plot. So we, we appreciate when we go back.
1: I think Star Trek seems, at least Next Generation, is always kind of aiming at that larger, you know, human understanding type of you know goal or or lesson.
0: Yeah. And usually, you know, that, that's from an outwardly focused story about the alien of the week, more often than not. But here it is, yeah. um, inside the Enterprise, the story's inside. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's another interesting quirk of Data, where he um, he creates, uh, he uses synonyms in turns of phrase, which is... Uh, it's interesting and it's unnecessary but yet you know it highlights that he doesn't quite understand those is that an analogy
1: that would be a if it's a if it's a it's a simile if you use the word like or as
0: okay so i mean i know you do uh, a podcast that's all about chasing down the origins of, of phrases would um, a wild goose chase-, chase even warrant that, or is it pretty obvious? Uh,
1: you know, I don't know the origins of that one, and I I have it on the list to to look up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, yeah, those are exactly the the ones that we the kinds of things we look into, and yeah. uh, it's interesting. Some of them are from centuries ago, and then others you find out you know just came about a hundred years ago, or maybe during World War One. Yeah, it's a common common time frame.
0: Oh, yeah? Just cultural change or cultural exchange?
1: Uh, yeah, and also just the um, amount of um, written uh, communication that was going on between people who were just of like an average uh, status as opposed to literary works. So, letters going home, things like that, just constant, you know, communication at that level.
0: All right. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So. And now we've had about four or five scenes and we've, we've figured this thing out. So now we're ready to, to kind putting of fix what we together. thought happened.
1: Mm-hmm. Putting all the pieces together. Everybody's got their own little bit of it.
0: Yeah. So and then now that Picard knows everything, it's kind of decision time. I, um, after, you know, the beginning of this season, they had the best of both worlds Picard got captured by the Borg. Riker was in charge of the Enterprise. I tried to ask, you know, for this season, what would have happened if Picard had to be, couldn't be captain? Riker stayed as captain and Picard's just an ambassador now who does ambassador stuff. Hmm. Um, You know, would it be terribly different this episode?
1: I think you see that in, in the times that Riker's been in charge, or maybe in the future is in charge, I guess, uh, that he's got a different style than the Picard, for sure. Oh, yeah. I think he would have been a lot um, more questioning at the beginning.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. So, and then saying that Picard's not going to confer with Starfleet Command gives this impression that he's some kind of, Rogue character who defies the odds and it doesn't doesn't quite fit to me. So,
1: but I I, you almost see that like in the you know um, his backstory with the the uh, fight with the who which uh, I can't remember what alien species. Uh, uh,
0: Nausikains.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Occasionally, a little spontaneous, I guess. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, Picard has those dimensions. I, I I do want to see more stories. Is that a thing from Sharper Image? <laughs> Sorry, behind Mindak. I didn't even.
1: What is that?
0: Because I kind of you know I was like, oh look they they put Mindak off center, so that whenever you know the time comes for two people to stand in front of that camera, that's all set up. Um, so you, you kind of. The first time you see mendak he's off center so you think hey something's going to come on screen on that left half but it doesn't and then you come back and here here's where it happens but um yeah here we get our poker analogy and uh, the revelation so how was she undercover for so long as a Vulcan? Did she just have a fake birth certificate? Like, yeah, you know, Vul- how,
1: when, At what point did she become a part of that Vulcan you know, contingent within the Federation?
0: Yeah. Like, oh, she's one of our best ambassadors.
1: It's like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's some long play there. I mean... <laughs>
0: Yeah, it just, it feels like one of those people, like, um, like in, in, in a TV show where you have a detective and they go undercover, and it's a male and they dress as a woman, and then after a certain point, oh, it's 30 Rock, where Steve Buscemi's character, private detective character, goes undercover as a woman, and then he eventually just decides to live that life. Um, like... It's like, at which point does your Romulan double agent just like being a Federation ambassador? Right. It's like, why did she quit? So,
1: he's clearly irritated there.
0: Yeah, and then like, she just decides to ask Data for additional secret information at the last minute. It's like, what is? Do you still need like another page on your essay for the Romulan for the Tal Shiar or something?
1: Yeah, it's weird. Maybe there was some other motive. Uh, there was like an intention to, I don't know, destroy the ship or something. Or
0: yeah, maybe. It's true. So maybe if they'd got that information, the Rangers would have blown him up, quick as you please. So yeah, and then Keiko changes her mind for like no reason. So it's it's a little yeah, disappointing in terms of how she's characterized.
1: Yeah, she comes across as some as like flighty or something. Instead of actually sharing the process there.
0: Yeah. You know, part of that's because we're focused on data, but I feel like we could have done more than that. But, you know, she's a supporting character, I guess, so this is going to become a theme. Yeah. So I have no idea how authentic to Japanese culture this wedding is, but
1: yeah I don't either, but the other cultures that have been represented in ceremonies and things it's often uh kind of similar in the way that that some of these military style things are where it's uh like they start off of a tradition and then make it futuristic
0: <laughs> yeah i guess that I guess that fills the gaps in whatever they didn't get right me <laughs> so. oh and this um Picard's speech here mirrors that of Kirk in uh, *Balance of Terror*, the original series episode where Kirk is going to marry some folks, and then there's a Romulan attack, and um, that interrupts it. So it's good. It's a good bridge between the two series. Yeah. And Data gives us our lesson of the episode.
1: It's always so. nice to have it recapped for you. Yeah. So you don't have to figure out what it is. <laughs>
0: So Yeah, I, I think it's it's not always bad to, you know, end your, your essay with the concluding statement. So
1: And the tr- successful uh dance at the end here.
0: <laughs> yeah. it's nice. So kinda wish that this has been been Commander Riker. Again, he seems like the more familial character and he could use some introspecting. But still, it's yeah. great. Because Picard and Data just, you know, look at the baby and marvel it. We learn, we learn another very important life lesson, I guess. the The miracle of birth, especially in the, um, you know, in the environment of tension and danger, that life kind of continues regardless. Yeah. And then we get Worf sitting in the chair, which we don't get a lot of. So,
1: Yeah, usually he's at the back talking about lasers, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So he's, um, I think Riker considered him for command back at the the beginning of the season. So, you yeah, usually it's Picard or Riker and sometimes Data. Yeah. So.
1: His morph's another character that goes back and forth from these kind of extremes on occasion, I think again, maybe to fill that what the episode needs as opposed to the character,
0: yeah, yeah, so he's he's got a lot of range, and some of that comes from the fact that he's he's very much a character with a forward facing persona and a lot more mm-hmm. happening behind that, so. It's a good one, though. I guess we're rolling credits, so final thoughts on Data's Day?
1: It's one of my favorite episodes. Data really highlights that uh, part of humanity of just, you know, trying to be better, trying to learn more about himself and uh, do what's right, you know, for the people around him.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. So uh, Mm -hmm. next week I'm going to be watching The Wounded, and you're going to be going back to Bunny Trails?
1: Yes, I will. Good times.
0: So um, until next week, remember Rand. Hey, I'll make this short because everyone hates credits. Star Trek is owned by CBS Television Studios and Paramount Pictures. We watch Star Trek on Netflix, we hold our conversations on Google Hangouts, and we record with Audacity, the free audio editor and recorder. All files are hosted on vanvelding.com, hosted by DreamPress, powered by WordPress. If you have any questions or comments about The Beige and the Bold, please feel free to leave a comment at vanvelding.com or tweet at vanvelding. Thank you, and remember...